Investors Chronicle. Hello and welcome back to the IC Interviews. I'm Mary McDougall and I'm delighted to be joined by Peter Spiller, Founder and Chief Investment Officer at CG Asset Management, a manager of Capital Gearing Trust, which I'm sure many of you will own. Peter has been managing the trust since 1982. We have in fact timed this interview to be as close as we could to his 40th anniversary managing the trust. For the uninitiated, Capital Gearing Trust's objective is to preserve and over time to grow shareholders' real wealth. Unsurprisingly, it's been extremely popular in recent months as investors face a host of challenges from inflation to recession risk. Peter, thank you for joining me. How are you? It's nice to be here. Thank you. Uh, You started managing the trust in 1982, which was in fact the last time the UK had a headline inflation rate of 9%, or to put it another way, the last time the cost of living was estimated to be rising as fast as it is now. Now, of course, the world is a very different place than it was in 1982, but is there anything you learned or can teach us about from back then that is instructive for investment decisions you're making now? Well, we're still driven by the same, the same um, factors. So the general principle has always been that when prospective returns are good and risk is low, which was, as a general characteristic, the situation in 1982, uh, then you should own those returns for as long as possible and lock them in. So the longest duration asset is equities, and we had all equities. Because the situation in 1982 was the, almost the polar opposite of what it is today. So inflation was high, but falling, whereas now it's high, but we think on an underlying basis still rising. Interest rates were high, but falling. We think the opposite is true now. Um, and PEs had fallen by two-thirds from 65 to 1980. Um, and uh, equity markets, and indeed all markets, offered tremendous prospective returns. So real interest rates were about four and a half. And uh, uh, as mentioned, equities looked extremely cheap. And not only that, but the 1970s, which were a horrendous period for, for, to live through. Um, but they did have a virtue in that the inflation of that period had purged balance sheets so that no companies had excessive debt in, in uh, 1982 because they didn't survive if they had excessive debt. Uh, government debt, similarly, was, was much reduced by the inflation. So balance sheets were in terrific shape. Stock markets were cheap. Um, what was not to like. And indeed, our model showed that you should have made 16% real over the next 10 years in equities. We did a bit better than that. Um, But today, that same model shows that the expected return on the S&P 500 is roughly zero over the next 10 years. Um, And uh, it could be significantly worse than that. So. then we had 100% in equities. Today, we have a very different kind of allocation um, to, to uh, try and produce a real return on the portfolio. Um, and, uh, but I should say that we do expect that re- real return to be quite modest because the set of opportunities is so limited. Mm, well, we'll get into your asset allocation later. But looking at 
where we're at today, you said that inflation, you think, is still rising. We talked about the 70s and 80s, that inflation was brought down by high interest rates. Then how do you see things playing out this time around? Well, we th- th- there's no doubt at all that headline inflation will prob- has probably peaked uh, in the United States because there are a lot of one-offs in there that will come out over the next year, uh, substantially through base effects. But some of them actually reversing. So shipping shortages, for instance, created by COVID, have added, according to the IMF, somewhere between 1%, 1.5% to retail prices. And it has to be a reasonable assumption that over time that will be sorted out. And, uh, and so that will come off the, the, uh, the uh, price indices. But the accumulation of short-term effects from COVID, from energy, from shortages of all kinds, from semiconductors or shipping, um, has meant that we've had high enough CPI and RPI in the UK for the pressure for wage increases to become embedded. And this is exactly what happened in the early stages uh, in the 1970s. Um, and once inflation is embedded, it turns out to be very difficult to, uh, to reduce. So we are not as optimistic as Mr. Powell that inflation can be brought down to his target levels uh, by anything other than rather a severe recession. And on top of that, with debt at this level, a recession runs the real danger of spiraling down into something worse. And as that becomes apparent, I'll come back to the reason for that in a second, um, as that becomes apparent, I expect the Fed to pivot really quite significantly and start um, reducing interest rates again and, and, uh, um, and printing probably. And the reason why the economy is so fragile that that might happen is debt. So we had a period over the last 30 years when essentially globalization, there were other things as well, like demography and, and technology, which were helping, but, but, but by far the largest driver of deflationary forces was globalization. And as goods prices essentially didn't rise at all in nominal terms uh, for long periods, Central banks were able to run extremely easy monetary policies without any consequences uh, from inflation. And they did so, um, ignoring the um, associated accumulation of debt that they were encouraging. Um, There were no Austrian economists in in these uh, central banks. Um, And that debt is now so high, just to quote a couple of numbers, um, a third of all publicly quoted companies in the United States uh, don't cover their interest rate uh, costs, interest costs. Um, and according to the IMF, 20% of all companies in the United States, that's public and private, uh, are in the same situation. They, they have interest rate coverage of less than one. So you can imagine that if in, uh, in times of recession, with rising interest rates, there's a potential for a lot of companies 
getting into trouble. So um, it will not take interest rates so much higher than inflation um, that had to be applied last time. Yeah. Um, it, it will be, the economy is much more sensitive than that now. And inflation, to an extent, my understanding, we've had a few people talk about this before, that governments are deliberately will deliberately try to run it a bit a bit high to inflate the debt away. Right. So, uh, so that that's the um, the policy that dare not say its name, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> financial <laughs> repression. Yeah. Well, I think financial repression yeah. is is inevitable uh, once you start from here. So when debt is far too high relative to assets and income, there are only only two ways of of uh, addressing that. One is by defaulting on the debt, which probably does involve a depression. Uh, and the other is by inflating it away. But as you say, with financial repression, that's to say with interest rates that are far below that rate of inflation. Because somehow or other, the owners of the debt have got to be cheated. <laughs> right. Well, now we need to get into where we can possibly try to protect our wealth. But mm -hmm. before then, I wondered on a scale of one to 10, where one is as bearish as you are likely to ever be, and 10 is the most bullish. Where are you at the moment? Well, I take it we're talking about equity markets. Uh, so I am pretty bearish. I, you know, quantification of these things is always absurd, frankly, but, but, but I'm pretty bearish because over the medium term, uh, because the current levels of valuation are justifiable only in, uh, with very low interest rates, which I think will not prevail. Um, and on top of that, we have seen a huge increase in corporate profits based on two things, as a percentage of GDP, uh, based, I think, on two things. One is the tolerance of monopoly and the, the ability of companies to be allowed to buy their competition and, and uh, enhance margins. And the other is that the, the uh, result of globalization um, has been that the share of income going to labor is dramatically lower than it was 30 years ago. Um, and correspondingly, the share of income going to corporate profits is dramatically higher. And those things are mean reverting over time. Yep. Um, and there is a catalyst now in the deglobalization, or the, certainly no further growth, uh, to bring that about. Plus, we've got governments that are very sympathetic to Labour, who want to try and address that. So Biden, for instance, uh, suggests that contracts for government work should only go to unionised labour forces. Um, and worldwide, there is a move to raise minimum wages. Uh, there are all sorts of, of, of um, policies designed to redress that imbalance. Um, so I think the outlook for corporate profits is fairly modest. Over time, I'm, I'm, we never have any view about what's going to happen next quarter because we're interested in value. But, but, but uh, I think the valuation of, uh, of equities is still very rich. I know we've had a 20% fall as in 500, um, but that has not been enough to, to establish fair value. You said in the 80s that it was um, 100%, the trust was 100% in equities more or less. Yeah. It's now 16%, according to your fact sheet. Can you envisage a period where it might go back to being 100% in equities? Well, uh, 
I should say that that um, we view our allocation much more in terms of how much is in risk assets as opposed to just pure equities. So risk assets would include property, infrastructure, all those sort of things. And so just to give a, a recent history, in February 2020, that was about 30%. And then obviously we had a huge fall in prices with the outbreak of COVID and lockdown. And it rapidly increased to 50% uh, to take advantage of those, those lower prices. And the, the uh, situation now is that we are um, just as negative about equities as we were in February of 2020. So why is it still 45 in risk assets, um, whereas it was 30 then? And the answer is because of inflation. So the opportunity cost of owning cash or its equivalent treasury bills or whatever, short corporate uh, bonds, high quality corporate bonds that we had a lot of then, um, was not very great because inflation was very low. Uh, now that inflation is, is close to double digits, not quite there, uh, we have become much more active in seeking out assets that can protect our investors against that inflation. How confident are you that you will be able to achieve positive real returns in the next two to three years? Uh, I'd say hopeful rather than confident. It'd be foolish to be confident because this world is so fragile that one, one can foresee circumstances where there might be a significant financial crisis, for instance, um, relating to the unwinding of some of that debt uh, that, we've, that we have talked about. Um, and uh, although we have done our best to insulate the portfolios from, from such an event, um, nothing can truly insulate you from, from those circumstances. So. Um, but nevertheless, uh, we spend a lot of time trying to find assets, as I say, that will do reasonably well in inflationary times. So a third of the portfolio is in index-linked yeah. government bonds. Um, what's the split between the US and the UK, and how do you view the attractiveness of the dollar? Well, we're, we're, uh, the UK is only about uh, 7% of that. Okay. Um, the rest is the U.S. with a smattering of other countries um, where, the, where we think the currency will be particularly attractive. Uh, the dollar is an issue. Um, it's been very kind to us over the last uh, 18 months by being very strong. Um, and it is strong, but, but the thing about the foreign exchange market, it's a relative market. So if you say it's going to weaken, you have to work out what it's going to weaken against. Mm -hmm. um, and the euro in particular uh, looks to be um, a fragile currency itself with notably energy costs undermining the relative competitiveness of industry throughout Europe, uh, where the, the price of gas and power uh, looks as though it'll be sustainably higher than for much of the rest of the world for quite a long time to come. Um, and that is uh, very bad news for, for competitiveness. Um, and uh, 
the the growth outlook is very modest. Um, the euro itself, I, I think, is in danger of being called into question. So we, we did have a redenomination crisis back in 2012, which Draghi dealt with by, by doing whatever it takes, if you recall. Mm -hmm. uh, when inflation's running at 7 or 8%, that is a considerable constraint on the central bank, the ECB, reacting uh, without limit, as, as is implied by that statement, with any credibility. Um, and there are a lot of resistance developing, in, in, particularly in Germany, to the um, extravagant spending uh, that many are calling for from, from the ECB, not only to support the economies, but also to support environmental investment and, and so forth. Um, and uh, it just is going to be extremely difficult to finance this. We've seen, uh, seen the spread on Italian debt grow a bit. Uh, it's helped tremendously by Draghi, actually. So Draghi, Draghi has a credibility that is um, unique among his countrymen, I, I would say. And he's going to leave office next 10 months or so. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you have a long-term view, um, that's rather a concern because uh, somehow or other, um, that spread has to be kept under control against Bund's, otherwise Italy becomes unfinanceable. Um, its debt is somewhere around 150% of GDP, uh, and that doesn't count a lot of European direct loans and that sort of thing. Mm. So, and what's your view on duration? Right. Are you at the long end or the short end? Right. Um, the answer is no. We're in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason for that, for that is that um, I would really like to get to long duration um, because financial repression implies negative real interest rates of some size. Um, currently, real interest rates are positive in the tips market, quite unlike the UK. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, they're positive. Um, so there is potentially a very big capital gain to be made in real terms um, at a time when probably everything else is doing very badly. So that's, that's got huge uh, attractions as part of the portfolio. Um, the constraint is that in the short term, tips react to nominal bonds more than they do to break even, so to speak. So break evens are very short, but it's slow to shift. Um, and where we have a very different view from the market is that, that the market believes that inflation will come back to something close to target very quickly, within 18 months or so. Um, we do not believe that's likely to be the case. It's always possible, but it's unlikely to be the case because Wages are over um, twice the target, and they have a momentum all of their own, uh, which we think will be sustained in the absence of a severe recession. So, Paul talks of not minding if unemployment rises by a few basis points, maybe three point six to to uh, perhaps four. I'm going to guess, um, but I think he will get quite concerned at that level. And in our view, that would not be enough to solve the shortages of labor that prevail throughout the United States. Um, and and um, we will still see 
sustained wage rises. So, uh, so we have a, a view that inflation is likely to be more embedded going forward. And I guess all this comes back, Mary, to the belief that the circumstances of the last 30 years are exceptional circumstances mm-hmm. uh, with those deflationary forces. Um, and that we're going to look much more like the period before that with, with uh, Bretton Woods and, and, and post-Bretton Woods up until till Volcker. So I guess one of the deflationary forces of the last 30 years has been technology, and that's one that's not going away. Yeah. So, so actually, um, <clears throat> I had a really interesting conversation with Land Securities the other day. You might think it's an odd way of asking, answering a question about <laughs> technology. Uh, but um, they said that their, their, their customers, the, the shops that rent from them, um, could not compete with the cost of sales uh, that was 20% of, uh, for occupation. So rate, rates and rents could not make up uh, 20% anymore, as it, but they used to be quite happily at that level. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they could now... Uh, compete with the internet at 13%. So I thought it was really interesting. That, that tells me that the internet is not 7% off yeah. the, the, the clearing price for, for um, clothes and so forth. And, and I'm sure that that will continue, that the internet will get, uh, get more powerful and, and so forth, um, but not at that rate. Yeah. So we've had the, we've had the, the big bite out of that apple and the, Mm-hmm. And there may be a little bit more to come, but but I think that will will um, will not be a huge factor going forward. And if we look at the rest of technology, it's just part of, of productivity. We've always had positive productivity. Um, it's probably less now than it has been in the past, as, as a sort of uh, as a long run feature, for all sorts of reasons that that um, perhaps we won't get into now. Um, but but uh, technology helps, and the um, the, you know, we've had plenty of periods of high inflation with that productivity in place. The productivity always helps, but yeah. it's not sufficient. Yeah, yeah. And property is a significant portion of yeah. the portfolio. What's your what part of property do you like the best, and how might this hold up in recessionary well, times? We, we, we've substantially all our property portfolio for some time has been um, beds, meds, and sheds as they're called, mm-hmm. um, because we've always had um, a liking for index-linked long-term contracts with credit-worthy uh, companies. Um, and um, the, there are many parts of, of the specialized property world where that is true. Uh, sometimes they're capped, at, at typically at 4%, which is which is a pity. I think it will turn out to be um, slightly costly, but still, mm-hmm. um, the, the uh, combination of even that with nominal debt that is not rising uh, can be very satisfactory uh, for producing positive returns. And, and uh, so the one thing that will be uh, very bad for, for property will be a significant rise in real interest rates. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, although it, it's just fair to say that the the UK 
index-linked market is very distorted and has not been reflected in the, in the property market, that some of that distortion could unwind without uh, significantly undermining the property market. Okay, that's interesting. You've also been moving into infrastructure yeah. recently. I wonder what you view as being the key risks here, because some of these are quite new and it's quite complex right. how their net assets are valued and, and right. they trade on high premiums. So in, in your view, what's the key risks? Right. These? So, so um, just to get the history of that, one of the reasons why we had a lot of cash in, in February 2020 is we'd sold all our infrastructure stocks. Um, okay. In, because they got bid up to very significant premium uh, in uh, Christmas 2019 and January 2020. Uh, and I was very skeptical about the projections of rises in long term uh, power prices in real terms that the, the firms were using, the, the values we used, mm -hmm. they used uh, various consultants. Um, but last summer, so long before the war, it became very apparent that Putin was playing some interesting games in the gas market because Gazprom were not filling up the storage uh, that normally takes place in summer. And we believed that he had discovered that with a 40% market share, as it then was, of the gas market, uh, that he was in position, rather like OPEC was in 1973, and that he could cut back supply a little bit and get much higher prices, mm. and the combination would give more revenue to to Russia. Um, so we we significantly raised our long term expectations for what the gas price and therefore the power price would be, um, and bought a lot last autumn. Um, obviously, the war has yeah. considerably, considerably exaggerated that. And we, 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 um, we would uh, expect that power prices come peace, which let's hope is pretty soon. Mm -hmm. um, not guaranteed, but let's hope it's pretty soon. Um, that the price will fall back, both of, of gas and of power. Uh, but not to the levels that we saw before all this episode began. So we think the, the, the cash flows will be, in nominal and real terms, significantly higher than we were expecting uh, 18 months ago. Mm -hmm. um, so so it is, has been correct that they should have, have reacted really well. Uh, what could go wrong? Um, the, I guess the answers are twofold. One is interest rates. So if interest rates really went up a lot, um, then the discount rate would come under pressure. Mm -hmm. um, number one. And number two, they are regulated. And when something's regulated, there isn't always the danger that they'll be regulated in a way that's adverse for, for shareholders. So just for instance, um, the, the French government has regulated that EDF should supply uh, uh, households with, with power well below the market rate. Mm -hmm. There's nothing they can do about it, um, but but um, so so they're they're they are regulated and 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 we live in populist times, so populist gestures are, are uh, certainly a real risk. Is there a risk as well that the 
quality of the assets is you know, better ones come along in that the assets aren't well it's interesting so, so the, the, if you look at um different parts of it so, so solar a, a lot of it's been sold forward um, um and and actually went to sold forward on under a government subsidy regime which locks in the prices that they're going to get mm -hmm. and it's index linked so that's pretty attractive yeah um that's very good you 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 think along the same lines that I do, Mary. I worry all the time that it's look, looking at things like batteries, for instance. Mm -hmm. Technology is, is improving continuously, um, as so many technologies do. And so, what's what's the value going to be? Not very far down the line, uh, if there's vast improvement. But the, um, the companies actually have convinced me that they they also think along those lines and and and. Uh, and they take a very but, long time to develop. Uh, yeah, but also their 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 accounting is 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 um, reasonably aggressive in not assuming that the battery of today will be worth a great deal in six years' time or eight years' time. Mm -hmm. So so uh, um, it is a threat. But but um, it's a bit like nuclear fusion. So if nuclear fusion works, then then um, the price of power will be very low indeed when it's when it's uh, been installed, but that's probably 30 years away, isn't it, at absolute minimum? Yeah. And I recall when I was in, in, in the, uh, very young, in, in the 50s, that nuclear, just, just nuclear plants, were going to make electricity so cheap it wouldn't be worth metering. Mm -hmm. That didn't happen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> Shame. <laughs> um. Now, the trust has grown a lot mm -hmm. in recent years. I had a look at your, on the 5th of April 2021, the market cap was 651 million, and today it's 1.14 billion. So you've mm -hmm. been issuing shares to keep the premium down. How might there be a point where you'll stop issuing shares? How big do you think the fund could come without distorting right. the balance of it? Right. It's obviously something we give a lot of thought to. Um, the first thing to say, is that every time we issue shares, it benefits existing shareholders because we issue at a, a very modest premium at 2%. Um, but it doesn't cost us anything like that to invest the money. Um, and and uh, so there's always a profit to, uh, to existing shareholders, which in the last year has more than paid for all the management costs, for instance. So, mm -hmm. so that's that growing or getting smaller where it would be the same thing, operating in reverse, um, is, is a benefit to, to current shareholders. Um, where the limit on, on, uh, on our investment scope uh, would be uh, is quite difficult to determine. I'm pretty sure it's quite a long way from where we are now. Uh, we will always be committed to buying in stock at close to asset value. Um, and... I think we'd probably be committed to always issuing, um, but we may have to raise the price at which we issue at a high, to a higher premium to stop it growing too rapidly, or, and, uh, but to make sure that, that as it does grow, uh, there's even more benefit to, to existing shareholders. So it, it's, uh, it is an issue, um, but, but it's not one that's uh, looming large at the moment. Mm-hmm. I do commend you for your fee structure, which tapers down as it gets over a certain size. I think, it is, is it about 0.6%? Um, 
Well, well, no, we're, we're a little under a half but, uh, in the figures that we were about to produce, or sorry, had okay. produced in the AGM uh, will endorse. What, what do you think? Sorry, I just. What do you think of progress as a whole for the industry on fees? Right. You've been, you've been covering. You've been sort of investing for a long time, and you own yeah. lots of funds within your fund. Yeah. So. Um, uh, so, so it's, it's definitely all going in the right direction, um, with the exception of some funds who still still charge uh, performance fees, which are a, an American import, um, which are an insult to managers, in my view, because they suggest that without without an extra fee, they won't even try. Uh, but anyway, there we go. Um, <laughs> the, the, um, but but um, we we are in a particular situation because. Um, our management company belongs to an employee ownership trust, people like John Lewis. Um, and we like to view ourselves as in partnership, not just with each other, but with our clients. And therefore, to share the proceeds of growth with our clients. So we have cut the fees on at least one fund, one of the funds that we run uh, every year for the last uh, several years. Um, and plan to carry on doing that, that principle of sharing the growth with, with investment. Um, and I, as a general statement, I think fees are too high still in investment trusts. Um, and particularly trusts which, which were set up, renewable infrastructure trusts, for instance, where it was 100 million and 1% was provided a very good living for, for, the, for the people running it. but but. But um, it, but but uh, it wasn't ridiculous. Um, but when those funds have grown ten, fifteen times, um, the fees should be a lot lower, in my view. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, we we will, I'm sure, um, see continuing falls. Um, but but it's uh, it remains an issue, and as prospective returns emerge at quite low levels, which I suspect is what's going to happen. Um, so there will be yet greater concentration on the part of those returns that goes to the manager as opposed to the owner of the capital. Yeah. I just want to ask one more question about equities, because you sounded really mm. quite bearish. Um, yeah. There are lots of people that think that certain areas of equities are very attractively valued now. Are there any parts of the equity market that you think is now Attractive. Yeah, actually there are. Um, so uh, about a quarter of our equities are in energy and mines. Mm-hmm. Um, so the effect of ESG has been really interesting uh, in, in those uh, stocks, but partly because the prices have been driven down to valuations that, that have, are very low. Um, but just as importantly, the pressure not to invest money in developing new mines or new oil fields or whatever it might be has been such that although demand, so in the case of mines, for instance, the amount of copper that would be needed to electrify the world um, is absolutely huge. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, in the case of oil, oil fields depleted about 5% a year. So you have to spend quite a lot just to stand still. And it's very clear that demand for oil in the absence of a huge recession is not going to fall for, for a number of years because just think about 
all the existing cars that are around, just for instance. And even this year, 15% of cars are electric. Mm -hmm. So 85% of the cars being sold today will still be using petrol in 10 years' time or diesel. And the, um, the consequence of that is that it is likely that, that the price will be high. Uh, no doubt, um, that's good news if you're an environmentalist. Uh, but it's going to be very tough on, on, on consumers um, and going forward. Um, and I think the, uh, the profitability of, of these companies uh, is much underestimated. So I think they are cheap. Um, and the, the important point here is that um, from an ESG point of view, I think it is right to support companies that understand how they need to be responsible. I talked to BP the other day. Uh, every second word they use is responsible. Um, and the, the idea of forcing these companies to divest of the... Uh, of the activities of which environmentalists do not approve uh, is to put them into the hands of people who don't care and who maximize profits and don't maximize you know, the benefits of the environment. So, um, so I think that that's one important area. As I say, that's about 4% of our, of our 16. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so it's important. Uh, the other thing to say is that the S&P 500 is by a country mile more expensive than most other markets. Yeah. So Japan and the UK, we are overweight in S and P, very underweight, even within that, uh, even within that sixteen percent. Mm -hmm. Peter, you've run Capital Gearing Trust for forty years. Are you good for another forty years? <laughs> well, Mary, I I like to quote Robert Frost. Uh, so he had this great poem, which, which is, the, "The woods are lovely, dark and deep, but I have promises to keep." And miles and miles to go before I sleep. And miles and miles to go before I sleep. And that kind of sum, summarizes things. Um, but, but the truth is that um, current circumstances are absolutely fascinating. Uh, the, the three principles of our, of our firm, which I just should mention, management firm, is, uh, the client comes first. Don't be greedy and have fun. And the last bit, which is, doesn't mean we have a party every day, uh, <laughs> but, but it does mean that everybody looks forward to coming into the office because we have a fulfilling and really interesting uh, day ahead of us. And um, so long as that remains true for me, uh, I'll, be, I'll be there. Well, great. Thank you so much. Um, that was really interesting. Lots to take away. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Mary. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 